Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today sign up using code buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet bet mgm and GameSense remind you to play responsibly 21 plus and present in ohio subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with mgm northfield park Save big money at Menards. Let the fresh air in and keep the bugs out with replacement screen for your doors and windows from AdForce. It's easy to install, durable against the elements, and comes in a variety of types to suit your needs. Repair your screens today with a roll of replacement screen on sale through May 5th. And check out more great deals happening now in our weekly flyer on Menards.com. Save big money at Menards. When I was two years old, when I was dedicated to the cause of Lucifer, I was at that point a seventh generation witch. I was laying there, practically, and I had her hold me as if I was me. I couldn't talk, I couldn't open my eyes, I, I believe my eyes were rolling back in my head. There was evidence of human sacrifice on this fight. One of my first questions I asked was, of Conspiranormal. It's your host, Adam Sane, and I am kind of all by my lonesome tonight. I have no Rob and no Luke. Uh, Luke, as usual, is out doing whatever Luke does, and Rob actually do not have him tonight because Chris Christofferson took him away from me. So, not feeling too good about that. Rob's out uh, monitoring a piece of, of equipment, making sure that Chris Gustafsson's uh, band does not drunkenly destroy it. But I do have on the line a co-host, a guest co-host that I've had on before, and that is Mr. Scotty Roberts. How you doing, Scotty? Hey, Adam. I'm doing great. How you doing? Yeah, man. Can you believe Chris Gustafsson taking away Chris, my producer I was going like to ask. That? I was going to go, what's, what's he doing with Chris Gustafsson? <laughs> well, you know, we're in Nashville, right? Right. So... You know, we get uh, Rob works for this company, and that what they do is, is they rent out equipment for different uh, for bands. They also 
or really for any band that wants it, really, they'll they'll rent it out. But they also will rent out and then they'll send their guys out to do shows. So that's what Rob does. He'll do sound. And I don't think he's actually doing sound at this event. I think he's actually just monitoring this piece of equipment, making sure that it gets there, stays there. Oh, so he's not like him. like hanging yeah. and having drinks with Chris. No, he's not hanging. I don't think he's <laughs> hanging out and having drinks with Chris Christopherson. I'll have to ask him next week. But uh, yeah, so Chris Christopherson, take away my producer. I'm not too happy with that guy. Wow. Even if he, even if he was, you know, even if he was in the Blade movies, I, I'd, but, I'd know, be I'd be writing Chris and uh, letting him have a piece <laughs> of your mind. Yeah, Sunday morning is not going to be too easy for him, right? It's not <laughs> going right. to go down come down too hard on him you know he was in a movie called heaven's gate i remember that remember that do you remember that movie did you ever see that wasn't that the one with warren Beatty too uh i don't think warren Beatty was in it uh i can't remember so a couple it was directed by the same guy who did the deer hunter michael chimino oh yeah and it was like it's the big one of the biggest movie flops of all time right right and it, was, it, it cost so much money. It went so way over budget. I think for it was United Artists. And I think it like actually put them in bankruptcy. And it was just came out as like this four-hour piece of mess. <laughs> and I think it's something about like why it's like the struggles between ranchers and, and immigrants in Wyoming. And it's just apparently one of the worst movies ever made. So I think it closely yeah. rivals Ishtar. <laughs> yeah, that's probably what you were thinking was Ishtar there, well, or you see. might have been thinking of Reds, which I think came around the, oh, came Reds around the same time. Yeah, which is a good movie, by the way. Let's see. Um, let's see. It was Chris Christopherson was in that movie? Yeah, it was not Warren Beatty. I don't know why I was thinking Warren yeah. Beatty. I, I think there was there was a couple other people that were in it that were that were fairly famous at the time, but it just uh, like I don't I don't know anybody that's actually seen that. Well, movie. I came out in 1980. I remember when that yeah. came out. And, yeah, uh, one of the so. biggest box office bombs. Yes, incredibly. It's just like it, it almost it, it, it was so bad it bankrupted the company. Oh, it was so. uh, you know who else was in that? Was Christopher Walken and Jeff, yeah, Christopher Walken. There you Jeff go. Jeff Bridges. Yeah, you think with a cast like that, you know, John Hurt was in that too. Uh huh. So. Yeah. Well, Scotty, uh, since I have you here, you know, we're looking real forward to in about a couple of months recording this on March the 12th, March the 13th. And in about a couple of months, we are going to be, we're going to be in Minneapolis, Minnesota, where you are. You're actually across the river there in Wisconsin. Yes. But uh, we're going to be at the Paradigm Symposium with you. And I just want to pull you in. To, let's talk a little bit about this, the Par- Paradigm Symposium Redux, as you sure. call it. Redo. And the X, the X being <laughs> silent. Because we're talk all about, French, you know. Let's talk about who's going to be there and uh, the the draw and the, the place and like the new place that you've got it at. Fantastic! Now. Yeah, it's going to be May twelfth through the fifteenth. That's two months from this weekend. As a matter of fact, is when we're going to be uh, holding this in Minneapolis. It's actually one of the western suburbs of Minneapolis, <clears throat> and uh, um, we've got uh, quite a cast. And I do want to mention before we go on, we had this originally scheduled for October. We usually do the first weekend of October with the Paradigm Symposium. And we ran into some huge, and we don't hide this uh, at all, right. we ran into some huge financial mishaps uh, with putting the symposium on in October. And we had uh, some sponsors they, at the, the last minute, the normal time, when they usually cut you a check, uh, some sponsors that had said, hey, we love you guys, but you know what? We can't do what we promised this year. 
then we ended up being short almost, uh, I'd say, $22,000 to round the figure up. And uh, this was about a month before the symposium. And it just killed us. And so we had a lot of financial uh, issues that took place as a result of that. And we just had to, had to say, look, folks, we've got to postpone this baby until May. And so uh, now it's uh, going on May 12th through the 15th. And we only lost one speaker, and that was uh, Barry Fitzgerald, uh, formerly of Ghost Hunters International. And Barry just said he was traveling over the same time period, and he just couldn't do the May date. Yeah. But in his place, we've got a couple of new speakers. Uh, we've got uh, Scott Walter, uh, who you're very familiar with, from America yeah. Unearthed. And he also had the, uh, the short mini-series uh, Pirate Treasure of the Knights Templar. Yeah, that's a that's a big deal right there. You know, yeah. we had him on back in September. Now, uh, he, yeah, October. Yeah, thanks to you, sir. He was at uh, Paradigm 2013 uh, speaking, and uh, he lives locally here, which is nice. He lives right here in the out, outskirts of Minneapolis. Right. So uh, uh, he is gladly coming on board. Our our keynote speaker is Lon Milo Duquette. Now, if you haven't heard of Lon Milo Duquette, Lon Milo Duquette is, is actually pretty well known in his circles. He is a, an ancient occultist, hermeticist. And when you always say occult, you know, you always think, why does, when I say occult, why do I always get a picture of, of Geraldo Rivera doing some report 25 years ago on the occult on the news? I don't know why. And it was all Satan, of course, and stuff like that. <laughs> but uh, I've actually watched that thing, by the way. It's on YouTube, the whole thing. The, the the Satan uh, well that's a, it's, the, the satanic panic uh, Geraldo Rivera right and and it's it's actually quite a misnomer um, because there's different forms of occult that are being used when you say that word it's an ancient occultist just like John Ward my partner in crime my co-author uh, my co-host on Intrepid Radio John Ward is an ancient hermeticist and an ancient occultist and uh, uh, but Lon Milo Duquette <clears throat> Excuse me, I've got a frog in my throat today. Uh, he's been uh, he's been the national and international governing officer of the Ordo Templi Orientis. It's a religious and fraternal organization, and it's part of Think the Masons, Think the Templars. You've got a pretty good idea who Lon Milo Duquette is, and he's also a musician, which is very cool. He's a folk artist, and uh, we've right. got uh, Randall Carlson is going to be here. He's with Sacred Sacred Geometry International. That's going to be. Very I believe he's from down my way. I think he's from Atlanta. Atlanta, right? yes, and he's done a lot of work with uh, Graham Hancock, uh, very in the recent two years. So um, um, he's really up and coming, even though he's been doing what he's been doing for quite a long time. And uh, <clears throat> we have uh, Travis Walton. Everybody knows him in the ufological circles. You remember the movie? Gosh, it came out twenty years ago now. Fire in the sky. Yep, um, over twenty years ago, sir. Ninety-three, and yeah. uh, that was uh, about the. Uh, if you remember, the Arizona logger who was uh, abducted by a UFO or aliens, however you want to look at that, and uh, they made that movie about him. And of course, Travis will say that's not exactly how it happened. And uh, but they made a new documentary on Travis, and he's going to come and speak for us. We've got Richard Dolan, who's a ufologist and historian. Peter Robbins, ufologist. Peter wrote uh, the big book on uh, that came out a few years back, uh, Left at East Gate, about the Rendlesham incident. And he's got a new book out now. I don't remember the, the title off the top of my head. But it's uh, Halt at Woodbridge. There you go. 
And uh, he is uh, quite the knowledgeable speaker on this topic. Uh, we've got Micah Hanks, uh, your friend and mine. And Micah, you know, he's the host of the Graylian Report of the Micah Hanks Show. <clears throat> he's been doing radio for years now. And uh, um, he's got several books out. He's a futurist. Um, he is a, uh, um, I would say, skeptical approach to the way he talks about these things, which is good. And I'm not talking your big S skeptic. I'm talking your little S skeptic. We question things, and then we look for answers. We don't just deny. And so right. uh, Micah Hanks is going to be there speaking. Nick Redfern, we all know Nick. He's got, I think, 380 books out or something like that. And in the <laughs> 380,000. In the time that it takes you and I to talk about him, he's cracked out another 72,000 words. Um, so he's going to be here. Uh, Laird Scratton, uh, he's written books on the Dogon, on Chinese cosmology, um, Gobekli Tepe, or, or as our good friend Andrew Collins would say, Gobekli Tepe. And uh, um, so Laird will right. be here. He's a staple. He's been here every every one of our uh, events. Uh, Dr. Rita Louise will be here. She's going to be speaking on ancient uh, cosmology as well. James Swagger, uh, Irishman, Irishman. And he's going to be here. He's a, a big a megalithomaniac type of guy. Uh, ancient monoliths and so on. Uh, Jeff Dougherty is new to the lineup since uh, last year. And Jeff Dougherty is the Christian whistleblower on the IPBN network. And uh, Jeff is, uh, like me, we have a lot of similarities, former seminarian, former uh, evangelical preacher, and uh, um, he was in the Pentecostal, I believe, And uh, but he has really taken a different tack. His first book that he wrote and, and released on a wide scale was uh, Apostle Paul Antichrist where he wrote about the theories that are out there that the Apostle Paul actually hijacked Christianity. Now, I don't know exactly what he'll be talking about at the event, but he's a very interesting man. My good friend Dan Madsen is going to be there. I've known Dan for, wow, since, 19, I want to say since 1979-ish, I've known Dan. And uh, Dan got his start. I invite him to speak because he's such a, an incredible individual. Um, he got his start publishing a mimeographed, Xeroxed, stapled in the middle, uh, the, the official Star Trek fan club newsletter back in the, the mid to late 70s. And he got noticed by Paramount, who originally wanted to sue him, but uh, brought him <laughs> in and uh, got to meet Gene Roddenberry and all these guys, and they actually licensed him to published the first official Paramount Studios official Star Trek fan club newsletter. And that expanded into the Star Trek Communicator magazine, which I believe is still out, the big full-color glossy. He went into, uh, through all of this, meeting Steven Spielberg, meeting George Lucas. He started doing the Lucasfilms magazine. Uh, he did the Indiana Jones magazine, the Star Wars magazine, Star Wars Insider uh, I think the last wow. group of magazines he did was the Lord of the Rings magazines when the movies all came out, and then he sold off his company. This uh, guy's like super fan. Yeah, and he he is uh, really something. He's my go-to man if I need to know anything uh, about Trek or about Star Wars. He's got his finger on. If you need to know which episode, you know, well that would Kirk, be uh, Kirk took his shirt off or whatever. Well, that was episode thirty-seven, Amok Time, and uh, <laughs> well, I don't know if that was the right number, but I. <laughs> 
Dan and I. I'm sure, just, I'm sure there's some Trekkie out there just cringing right now. Probably, Scotty. probably now. Now, <laughs> and you know, Kirk actually, the first time you ever saw him with his shirt off, fully off, was in. It was the second episode of the original first season, and it was Charlie X. So it was episode number two, and he was in the gymnasium wearing white. I'm sorry, red leotards, tight skin tight, <laughs> with the little Star Trek symbol patch on the on the hip. And uh, he was shirtless with a towel wrapped around his neck going up the uh, turbo lift to his quarters. And, uh, you know, William Shatner, he's in pretty good shape for uh, 1966. So I'm impressed, Scotty. Why, thank you. I, I am impressed. Thank you very much. Uh, Sarah Soderlin is going to be joining us. She's local here to the Twin Cities. Sarah is a, she's a doctoral candidate right now, just meaning she's working on her doctorate in right. forensic psychology. Um with a a uh, not paranormal. What's the word I'm looking for? The uh, parapsychological twist to it. And she is also a psychic and a medium, and so she's a very interesting person. When you wrap all those things together, <clears throat> tell tell her I want her on the show. By the way, I will tell her. Uh, she's <laughs> been a good friend of mine since I used to. I met her at uh, doing darkness radio events. I met her at the Stanley Hotel for the first time. Yeah, back yeah. in '07, I think it was, and uh, we've been very good friends since. And uh, Rocky Stucci is going to be here. Uh, can't forget him. They can't forget him. Uh, he is uh, my partner in the IPBN Alternative Talk Radio Network. And uh, he's got EBN Radio. He also has a new show that uh, I'm tagging along with him. I'm his co-host and his sidekicker. He would say, my conciliary. And uh, because he is Rocky Stucci's show, Rocky Stucci, the godfather of, of political talk radio. And my conciliary. Scotty Roberts. That's how he always announces me. So Rocky will be there. He also talks on bullying and um, uh, drugs. He's He's been into that whole world and uh, come out of it. And so yeah. uh, he talks to those things as well. And then we, we have uh, Edward Nightingale, um, who had his first uh, touch at ever speaking about anything. Uh, he had written about the Giza Plateau and gone into all the mathematics and the geometry and all of this stuff, and it, he fringes the weird with the topic, but he goes into it from a very scientific point of view. Uh, he'll be here speaking. And then we have Wildflower. She is a resident um, psychic and medium, and she does some all kinds of other things that she does, kind of kind of whole life stuff. And so she's always been around and always been a big help to us, so she's going to be there. And, of course, my good friend, my business partner, my co-author, my co-host, John Ward. Uh, John Ward is a British archaeologist working uh, in Egypt. He's been living there for about 15 years, and they've got the big site with his wife, Dr. Maria Nilsson, of uh, Gebel El Silsila, uh, south of the Nile from Luxor. And uh, he writes with me as well as uh, uh, John. To John, let me put it this way. The paranormal is a cakewalk. John has been in the much deeper stuff, the the hermetics, the occultism, all of this stuff digging into the ancient uh, hermetics of Egypt. And so the things he has seen and done uh, are unrivaled. But then again, I take him on a paranormal investigation with Rocky, and he yells out, you hear it on the recording, get me out of this effing house. So, <laughs> Real brave. Yes. Well, only said it more British. Get me out of this effing house. And uh, so uh, that's John. And then we also have... Teresa. Teresa communicates 
she is going to be having some gallery sessions, doing some psychic psychic readings, uh, just to cater to everybody. There's everything, uh, and so we cover all these different things. I call it the most eclectic blend of esoteric minds and alternative research, archaeological, anthropological, paranormal, cosmological fields, and they're all landing in Minneapolis this May. 12th or 15th, if you go to the website, paradigmsymposium.com, just click on the ticket links, and uh, you'll, you can get your tickets. Well, you forgot one very important person. You forgot yourself, Scotty. Oh, I'm going to be there, Scotty too. Scotty Roberts is going to be there. I'll be well. there, too. I'll be speaking. I'll probably be speaking with John Ward, um, So as we usually do. And I'll be emceeing with Micah Hanks. He'll be emceeing, as usual, uh, as we've done every year. And also, uh, we are going to be there too. Conspire Normal. We'll be have a we'll have a little table set up set up, and we will hopefully be doing interviews and everybody be. come out to see us. And if you go to the yeah. website, by the way, you will see there's as you scroll down there are some pictures of the the venue. We're holding it at the uh, Templar Lodge uh, on the west side of Minneapolis, and it is a glorious building. It's very cool. It's actually just a cinder block building, but we. The way they've got it uh, all decked out, the wood and murals that actually I painted with a good friend of mine about five years ago. Uh, the place is a pretty spectacular building, and it's got a lot of a lot of uh, pathos in the building, shall we say? Yeah, it's a very interesting place. It is yeah, for sure. It, it looks like a it, it, well, from what I've seen on the internet, I haven't actually been there yet. Here and you know so what? This will actually be the first time I've ever been to Minneapolis. I'm so. going to make an offer. To uh, everybody listening to your show, if you go click on the tickets link, once you get there, you are going to see um, the ticket prices, and uh, um, but you're going to see uh, the full weekend lecture and all of that. But I also have in there there is uh, you, you got to click on the uh, the ticket link. I'm just double checking to see how I have it worded. Um, <clears throat> if you listen to the Rocky Stucci show, you can get your your tickets for half off. Uh, if you click on that link for the listeners to this show as well, you can get your your tickets at half price. And for some reason, oh, I'm sweet. looking at it now, and it's not there. But I distinctly put that up, so I'm going to have to go back in. Uh, give me a give me today, folks, to tonight to get that up. Um, well, by the time you, by the time I'll have this posted up by Wednesday, so oh, you should you have, it should be up. It'll for be you. up. So you just click yeah. on. Listeners to the Rocky Stucci Show, and we'll put also uh, listen, listeners to Conspiranormal. If you click on that link, you'll be excellent. able to uh, get your tickets for half price. Excellent, excellent. Well, Scotty, I mean, that's, that's, uh, we're, we're really pumped about it. We're really excited about coming up there and uh, seeing you guys and uh, d- uh, doing our thing there and uh, doing interviews and hanging out. Um, you know, hopefully we're going to get to be able to see some of the presentations as well. Uh, do you know what uh, you might be talking about? If, uh, if you're gonna, are you giving a, pr- a presentation? There? I'll be giving a presentation. I have no idea what I'm going to be talking about yet. Um, and, and generally, it's, it's usually for me because I'm organizing the event. I, I kind of put all my topics in a hat and just 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 pull it out and uh, and we talk. Sure. Last time John and I talked about uh, um, uh, all the stuff that we'd been doing together. He talked about Gebel El Silsila, the work they're doing there, the new discoveries there. Um, I may because I haven't talked about it in a couple of years. I, I may uh, bring up the topic of the Nephilim again because uh, I am actually considering revisiting that topic in a new book, and I I put that. You know, offhandedly, I put that on Facebook. I was talking to somebody a few weeks ago, and I said, 
you know, I'm really seriously considering doing a a revisiting the the Nephilim topic because I would I would there's so many other things that weren't in the book and things I've learned and stances I take on things and who should respond to that but my publisher, uh, New Page Books, uh, Lori nice. Guy, and she said she said we're ready to publish that book as soon as you write it. So, uh, well, uh, it's an interesting topic, and uh, like we had you on for that back in the first time we had you on was on that book. Uh, God, that's like episode eighteen or something. That had to be back. How how many years have you been? Twenty twelve. Twenty twelve. I think that's... towards the end of twenty twelve we had you on, and, and and I mean, yeah, I I really loved your book because it was so much more of a uh, scholarly and a kind of like you know a dispassionate, uh, and I mean that in a good way of way of looking at the whole concept of the Nephilim. It was different than what I had been hearing in kind of like the fringe Christian circles. Well, I, you know, I definitely you know what I mean? gave out, uh, a, and I know what you meant when you said this, but it's definitely, right. for being as dispassionate as it was, it was full of passion. Uh, because there are certainly elements to me that that fire me up about this topic and about the way it's handled and so on. And um, so I approached the... I took the topic from the the book of Genesis, which is, frankly, that is your origin point for the Nephilim. For all the talk you get about it in ancient alien circles and all of this stuff, you know where it started? Book of Genesis, chapter 6. And that's the source point for the Nephilim, uh, even though it's mentioned in other books later on, in biblical books. And I took that story and I wanted to do some comparison. I wanted to look at also the alternative view, the alien view, the ancient alien view. Things like that. So I remember I was looking at this book has over a hundred reviews on it on Amazon alone, and some of the earliest reviews I got. One guy really took me to task. He <laughs> says, "He says, you know, you know, you've totally, uh, you've totally eliminated Jesus, our Savior, from this whole thing and God. And even yeah. though you quote all this Bible, and and you're obviously just promoting an ancient alien agenda. Well, you know, the very next review." Said you've obviously totally sur- bypassed the ancient alien agenda, and you're looking only at that Bible stuff. And so I had two reviews that totally contradicted each other, and I just wanted to get them together and say, "Here, here's a book. Why don't you, why don't you, why don't you actually read it this time?" So, well, let, let's talk about someone that uh, may or may not be a nephilim, and that is Donald Trump. Oh yeah, he's got and <laughs> and you know one of the things we we, we you know we're a we're kind of an eclectic show. We we talk about you know kind of like weirdness and uh, alien abduction, and you know we've talked about ghosts in the past, conspiracy theories. We like to talk about politics usually in the first part of the show. And you know you and I were talking the other night about a week ago about what's going on with Trump. And I kind of want you know there's been a lot happening. It sure has. And I when when I plan to do this with you. You know, in a week, everything changes. And Friday night, there in Chicago, there was this huge, there was a Trump rally that was planned. And all of a sudden, well, there was these lot of protesters organized. And basically what happened was, was that the Trump people decided that they would, cl- they, they would not have the rally for fears of public safety. Well, there ended up being fights on the street. There ended up being scuffles, people um, yelling at each other. This almost happened, I think, a day or two days previously in St. Louis as well. And then on Saturday, some guy tries to get up there and attack Trump. 
I saw and that. And I mean, things are, this was in Ohio, which is in one of the other states that on Tuesday are having their elections. Uh, things are getting crazy, Scotty. I thought it was this very, is, this, very, very interesting and telling to me when I saw some reporters on the street trying to talk and ask some of the protesters from Friday night what exactly they were protesting. They said, well, what is it about Donald Trump you don't like? And everybody, they asked that question. Not just on that broadcast, but other broadcasts I've seen all had the same packaged answer. I don't really want to talk about that part, was the answer. And everybody said that within almost verbatim between each other when they were asked uh, of the protesters. And none of them, some of them were goofing around in the background. It was almost as if they were just having a party to protest and they didn't really know why they were protesting. Now, this to me ties into, now, whether you like Trump or not, I try to put myself outside the box for a minute and look at everything that's going on. First of all, I have never in my lifetime seen so much negativity thrown at one candidate from his own party and from the other party and from everybody else in between. Um, I've never seen this before. And that, for me, makes my the little light bulb go on over my head and say, hmm, what's going on here? Why is everybody suddenly against Trump? We all know he's not a bigot. We all know he's not a racist. Because anybody in the know who thinks beyond the headlines and what the what I call the media malfeasance would like you to think, uh, and those who are behind that, anybody who knows, knows that there's a whole lot more Trump has said about things that people are holding up as the statements of his racism or his bigotism, his bigotry. And uh, he's gone through and explained himself over and over and over again. Just the KKK David Duke endorsement issue from a week ago. Uh, First of all, David Duke said, I never endorsed him. Secondly, Trump said, I already, he renounced, he's on record from 2008 having denounced the KKK and David Duke. Um, And yet all anybody will do, and every time you see the story repeated, is only take the one sound bite or the one sound clip. It's like, for instance, the, uh, the sound clip about Mexicans from very early on in the campaign. All people know is, let's skip the Mexicans, because I want to go to the more important one, the Muslims, where all people will keep repeating over and over again is that Trump wants to block all Muslims from emigrating to the United States, period. And I go, and what else did he say? But it's never in any of those things that come out. Uh, If you listen to what Trump said about that, he said there is such a huge problem that comes from radical Islam And he says, it's so difficult to tell one from the other. He says, we have to put, he says, I'm suggesting we put a temporary moratorium on emigration until we figure out a way to vet these guys better. And this all goes to, if you study what's going on and research what's going on with immigrants, of uh, Muslim immigrants, you're finding one in 50 are radicalized. You're finding that 82% of them are all single males. And there's only 12, uh, 18% that are families that have any children, a smaller percentage with children. And you've got all these single guys 
uh, uh, coming over. And you start looking at the research, and the yes, there's profiling. There has to be profiling. There has to be when we're in a national security crisis with radicals. And what we're doing is we're trying to say, you can't pigeonhole anybody. You can't look at a group and say, this group, this religion is more responsible for terrorism. And so how do you find out who is the radical within that religion and who is just the peace-loving one within that religion? And, uh, and it's worldwide. Look at Europe right now. Look at Northern Africa. Uh, look at what's going on over there. So all of that to say, this is something where nobody looks at the facts. They look at the headline. And they repeat the headline over and over again. And suddenly, Trump's a bigot. Well, I, w- I want to say this. Sure. That... You know, the last few days, this last week especially, you have had all these 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 events that have happened at his rallies. Right. Specifically, this old man that punched this guy in the face. The cops are es- already escorting this black guy, okay? They're already escorting him out of the – this was in North Carolina, I believe. They're yep. already escorting him out of out of there. This old dude just comes up and just sucker punches him right in the face. Okay, and then I've seen the same thing happen at and, Irish pubs. <laughs> I'm Gotta sure tell you, have, Scotty. And, and then and then and and then Trump just kind of shrugs it off and says, "Well, you know, it's just the guy's just angry." Yeah, and then he's like, "I'll just pay his legal fees or something like that." And. But more and more, this has gone on, and yeah, you're right. You, you've you've had this the the things about the Mexicans that he has said, and then right. you've had the Muslim thing that he has said. Now, and Trump hasn't even Trump himself. I will give him this has not even really addressed this, and other than the fact that he calls them protesters, you got the whole Black Lives Matter thing getting involved. Well, you Black got the Lives whole, Matter, the is... whole the whole race issue getting involved, and. But to me, I, you know, I don't know if you saw this. You had posted something about what happened on Friday night. Yes. And what I perceived in that uh, rally that was canceled, what I perceived was that you have two sides. You have the Trump supporters and you have the Black Lives Matter people, the protesters, MoveOn.org, organized, whatever they are, or Soros funded, whatever. Both are willing to use political violence. And in my mind, and as a student of history, whenever that happens, it's like you can almost you can almost kiss the republic goodbye because at that point there's no moderating voice. It's either one side or the other is gonna take control. But people were fighting on when people were fighting in the streets of Chicago, which is very reminiscent of nineteen sixty eight, by the way. But when they were fighting on the streets of Chicago on February, on Friday night, that was what I've been saying for a long time. It's just like Weimar Republic Germany when you'd have a group of brown shirts, the SA, and a group of communist guys get together and they'd fight each other on the streets. That's I've been saying that for a long time that that's where we're going to in this country. I didn't know it was going to be Donald Trump. That it was well, going to be almost like the catalyst or the direct cause of this, but but th- it's starting to happen. Here is here is the big misnomer on all of that: is that Donald Trump is not promoting that. 
what Donald Trump. It sounds like he is, though, well, because may, he, he will say stuff will like throw you. the protesters out, throw them out their butts, get them out of here. What he we, will you say, know, you know, well, is, this is how we dealt with. Uh, this is how we dealt with things back when the good old days. This never would have happened. Well, well, let's let's look at this. Let's look at this with common sense. Number one, a Donald Trump rally or anybody call it a Bernie Sanders rally. They are paid for events by the people putting them on. They are not public forums. First, if you become disruptive, you could be removed. I said to somebody, there's a friend of mine who is very much on the other side of this, and uh, he's a, a Paradigm Symposium friend. And I said, look at it this way. I said, let's say you're at the Paradigm Symposium and a bunch of protesters started shouting against Graham Hancock yeah. or, uh, or Adam Sane. And they didn't like him. Well, like you never know. Him. And uh, um, they wouldn't stop. And they were disrupting the event for everybody else who had paid to be at a paid event. Would I have security remove them? You bet your damn ass I would. Now, would people at the Paradigm Symposium start punching them? I don't know. Probably not. It all depends on who's there and who's doing what. But here's the, here's Rocky, the point. Rocky, I keep hearing, I just had somebody on my Facebook say something about well, Donald Trump is having people removed and he's promoting violence against those that disagree with his opinions. And I said, wrong, big, big, bold-lettered wrong. Donald Trump has not removed anybody for disagreeing with his political ideologies. Donald Trump has had people removed or supported people being removed by security for disruption of a public event, a paid-for event. That's the big difference here. He's not removing them because he, because he disagrees with them on a on a ideological scale. He's removing them, or they're being removed, and he's approving it because they're disrupting an event. When you want to hold up a sign, let's say you're silent and you're holding up a sign, that might be one thing. Whenever you've seen these clips of Trump saying, "Get him out of here, get him out of here," it's somebody that has been standing there shouting and creating disruption in a rally that he doesn't belong doing that. He doesn't have the right to do that there. He has a right to express his First Amendment rights, but let us not confuse what is First Amendment right and what is legal. First Amendment rights do have limitations on them. Even Ben Frank, or I'm sorry, Thomas Jefferson said, liberty too must be limited in order to be possessed. There are laws on liberty. The old, the old phrase, you can't yell fire in a crowded theater. That's 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 the idea here. You cannot disrupt for the sake of disruption, and uh, you you may have and a right free, to protest. And, the, and a freedom and freedom of speech is to uh, for the government not to restrict your freedom. Of that's speech. right. It's for the government cannot restrict that. If you are at one of my events that I paid eighty thousand dollars to throw on and to put up, and you're trying to disrupt my event, I will call the police and have you removed. Yeah, if, and, and and you know that's what. That's what the police are there for. That's what the security right. guards are there for. And also now the Secret Service people, like the guy, the reporter that got thrown to the ground. Well, I kind of understood that somewhat because you got a, so you got a Secret Service guy there. That's what those guys do. That's their they are job. paid to protect. And when, so, you know, he's not seeing a reporter. He's just with a camera. He's just seeing some guy step and over a guy line and he slammed into the, the ground. The guy shouldered him in the chest as he went by and told him, F you. Yeah. But when you have. When you have people that are whipped up by the things that Trump is saying, and then some old dude just sucker punches this guy that's already got his hands well, well, behind well, no, his no, back. That, 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 too, I believe, is, is an erroneous take. 
Are, is he out there whipping people up against Black Lives Matter? Is he out there? Is he at his rally whipping people up to go punch somebody? No. He's, he said things like well, that. Well, you know what he said? I've seen the little clips on that, too. Do you know what he said? He said, you know, he says, get him out of here. Get him out of here. It was a guy that was disrupting. And he says, you know, yeah. there was a day. He says, he's over there. He says, he's swearing, using foul language. He's waving his hands. And he says, there was a day a long time ago, he says, where a guy doing like something like that in somebody's public e- or somebody's event, he says, they'd have been taken out on a stretcher. Was this the guy he called fat? Is no, this the one no. you're talking about? Okay. Um, but, uh, and, and gu- I guarantee you, the guy he called fat was the guy who was throwing insults out at him. And you don't want to insult Trump. He'll insult you right back. That's just his personality. I don't care. Yeah, he's very brash. He's brash. It's true. And that's okay uh, to a certain point. I saw once I told this, tell the story of Jesse Ventura when he was running for governor of my state, Minnesota, when I lived in Minnesota. And this is about yeah. 20 years ago. And he was walking up in a, in a small town, and some guy was heckling him from the crowd. And it was on the news that night. And they bleeped out the bad word. But he's in a crowd of people walking down the street, and somebody's heckling him. And he goes, he goes, yeah, shut up. He says, I don't need your vote anyway, a-hole. And, That's a and good it was, a, it, was a great, it was a great moment. I said, I'll vote for that guy just because he said that. <laughs> did you vote for him? Uh, no, I did not. But... Uh-huh. Uh, um, I, I like Jesse Ventura. He'd be like, one of the. He'd be somebody that I would be. I feel really inspired. But to vote this for. whole thing where, where Trump said he'd punch somebody in the face, the whole context was the same thing I was I was telling you about, where he said a long time ago a guy like that would have been carried out on a stretcher, and he says now he says I'm not I'm not advocating that. He says I'm he says he says that this is not the place for that. He says but I got to tell you, there's a part of me that looks at a guy like that that's disruptive swearing at me calling me names he says he says i'd like to just punch him in the face frank now we're going to get to the we're going to get to the guest here soon so i want to be kind of quick on this but we were talking about this last week uh on the show and then you and i had talked about it before you know uh i had said that trump's foreign policy is it, it in some ways, I actually agree with his foreign policy, and I can kind of see where, at least as the part of the neoconservatives on their part, and they are very dominant in the Republican Party, that they would have problems, certain things that Trump stands for foreign policy-wise, they have problems with. And I see that as really one of those is which, you know, sitting down with Vladimir Putin and uh not having world war 3 because of that and it, it 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 seems to blow my mind really that it's really the neoconservatives that are kind of behind well, us and they're willing, they're willing they're willing to go to hillary because they don't like what he what he has what he has keep to, in mind, to the trump table. already has a, a standing business relationship with putin and with russia he already knows the man um there's yeah. one big difference you've got to look at between trump and the other guys. Number one, Trump is entering this not as a seasoned politician, but as a seasoned businessman. So his take is how I do things in business. Now, also, what you have to look at with Trump in his approach, if you notice, he is not a political ideologue. He's not up there spouting political ideology. He's leaving that for the politicians. He's up there saying, I'm going to do what a businessman does, and that is not spout ideology, but look for the way to find results. 
So he is approaching it to say, I'm going to find results. And uh, I will tell you, all this negative stuff has driven a hell of a lot of people closer to Trump than away from him. Well, that's the thing. It seems like it seems like any of this stuff that you know they try to that that he has been pinned with, whether he does it or not, whether it's the it's propaganda against him or it's just him saying stupid stuff. None of it seems to get anybody away. Because I from think him. people, in a sense, they know better. They know what's what's fake. And they know what's a put on, what's manipulative. As a matter of fact, did you know there's two things, and I'll try to make this fast because I know we're coming up to a break. Two things yeah. you got to look at. Number one, the Koch brothers had a meeting with Mitt Romney, also with, with Cruz and with Rubio. This was about three weeks ago. The Koch brothers put up $75 million to find any way they could to stop Trump. All right? That's a pretty big budget to stop a candidate that's running in your own party that you just yeah. don't want. Because, I, and I will tell you, the Republican establishment, they are angry. They're angry as hell. And you know what they're angry about? Not so much Trump. They're angry that people aren't voting the way they want them to vote. Because people are stepping it, out from that. And number two, last weekend, you've probably seen the news on this, there was a huge, the, the meeting of the American Enterprise Institute on a little island off the coast of uh, uh, Georgia. And this is the annual meeting. It's been going on since, I think, 1982 of the Republican establishment, if you will. The people in attendance, there were a bunch of uh, senators, Republican senators, Republican politicians. There were tech giants, uh, like uh, the guy who owns uh, Google, the guy who owns Apple, who is now the CEO of Apple. Um, There were all these different billionaires that are all Republicans, conservatives, they were meeting, uh, and the the one big agenda item last weekend was, how do we stop Trump? And uh, Bill Kristol, who is actually a uh, uh, a conservative um, um, commentator, he said about that meeting, he said the same thing. He says, really, the agenda has been how to stop Trump. And uh, there were 54 private jets that flew in there last weekend and out. And uh, Bill Kristol, Bill Crystal is the heir to the neocon yes, he his father his father basically came up with yes it. and so what i'm saying in a nutshell you've got the whole establishment that's against trump and why they're against him because he stands as the candidate that does not if he wins does not allow the republican establishment to win and you're and they're taking out everything against him george soros from the other side move on was funding this protest on Friday night in Chicago. Uh, they were yeah. just like they funded the protests in Ferguson, Missouri. Remember, remember uh, Michael Brown, those protests yeah. were funded by Soros and move on. As a matter of fact, there was a story a couple of months later that some of those protesters were trying to file a class action suit against Soros and move on because they weren't getting paid what they were promised to protest. So this is the same outfit. Black lives matter. I have very little to say about them that's good. Uh, Black Lives Matter, I I have tended to say, call them Black Lives Matter. Um, Black Lives Matter is one of the biggest race-baiting organizations out there that is really sponsoring sponsoring the the race war, the the coming race war. This is what they are about. They're not about fairness. That's why, why do you think they bristle when you say, no, all lives matter? It's because that's not their agenda. Their agenda 
is very pointed. Yeah. I These are the people protesting and, and, Trump, calling him a racist. And, and let me say, too, like the neoconservatives, they don't care what Trump is saying about, uh, you know, about Muslims oh, or, or Mexicans or black people. I mean, they, 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 only, they, they give, only care. They could give a crap. They only care they that really he's winning care. and he could possibly take the presidency. That's the only thing they care about because it's not their establishment candidate in there. And by the way, if you like Cruz, uh, I have to say you don't think very well. Cruz came out after the Friday night thing and he used that to degrade Trump and to and as a big campaign stumping point. Uh, Cruz scares me probably a little more than than Trump because he is very well spoken. He's very flashy, and he has connections, including his own father, in Dominionist yes. theology. And basically, if you want to live in uh, if you want to live in the in a in Iran under the mullahs, then then vote for Cruz. Uh, That's yeah, my, the, yeah, theocracy, theocracy in any form. Call it Al Qaeda. Call it ISIS. Daesh. Call it uh, the religious right. In America, yeah. uh, it's all the same. If you want a theocracy, you are going to deconstruct your constitution. I don't care what it is. And I'm not against. I came out of evangelical Christianity and stood for a lot of those same things, and I see their right to express themselves and to vote the way they want to vote. But if you get a theocracy of any form running in this country, it is going to be a sad day for the constitution and for the people of this nation. And uh, I want to say one last thing about Cruz. This is my theory, but it's based on everything I've been looking at. The deeper you go down the rabbit hole, folks, the more you see that this is probably spot on as they come. When I saw the one debate where Rubio was the attack dog on Trump, you remember that one? And Mm -hmm. Cruz just kind of stood there with his eyebrows kind of up, and he was kind of looking. What was the first thing he said after that big exchange between Trump and Rubio? And by the way, if you notice here, you watch it again, Trump wasn't overtly insulting rubio he was responding to rubio and was this the same one that cruz had the booger on his yes but uh (laughs) cruz looks at the audience then after that he goes can i say something now he says is this and he points over to trump and rubio he says is this the kind of dialectic and the kind of dialogue that you want to have in your party representing you and he just threw them both under the bus whereas he was just a week earlier than that in a meeting with Rubio and the and the the, the Koch brothers and and Mitt Romney to find any way possible to stop Trump. I put that all together and I say this: Rubio has no way of winning. There's no oh, I way. Agree. Even though he won Minnesota, Even he won, well, pfft, when Reagan ran, he won every <laughs> state except Minnesota. That gives you an idea. That's but here's Rubio, yeah. and Rubio. Well, I don't know what's going on out there. We've got alarms going off now. That must mean you got to listen. Well, hey, Scotty, but we got to get to right. the guest. But uh, let's uh, let's let's end it there. Oh, and I have so and, much uh, more to say on that. <laughs> we'll we'll pick it up. But let's go. Let's take a little bit of a break. Got it. Uh, and then uh, I'm gonna run and uh, take a little little break here, and uh, we'll call her. Okay? Right on. All right, guys. We'll be right back on Conspiracy Normal, and here's some words from our sponsors. When it comes to great stakes. I've just raised the stakes. The Sharper Image is one of my favorite stores with fantastic products of all kinds. That's why I'm thrilled they agree with me. Trump stakes are the world's greatest stakes, and I mean that in every sense of the word. And the Sharper Image is the only store where you can buy them. Trump stakes are by far the best tasting, most flavorful beef you've ever had, truly in a league of their own. 
Trump steaks are five-star gourmet, quality that belong in a very, very select category of restaurant, and are certified Angus Beef Prime. There's nothing better than that. Don't buy wigs that come off at the wrong time. Maury's wigs don't come off, even underwater. And remember, Maury's wigs are tested against hurricane winds. Don't forget about money. You can afford a Maury wig. Price to fit every budget. So call me now. Okay, guys, we're back on Conspira Normal, and it's your host, Adam Sane, as usual. And I have with me a guest co-host, Scotty Roberts. Oh, hey, how you Say doing? Hello, I, I didn't, uh, <laughs> my mute button was on, and I didn't move fast enough. Well, we just got we just got through having a, a very heated discussion about politics, so it, it, it was very interesting. And I have on the line uh, a guest that uh, sent me a... Actually, we started talking on uh, Facebook, and I found out that this this guest that we have on was uh, was doing a book, writing a book, and uh, we uh, emailed back and forth, texted back and forth about it, and finally got the book in my hands about a month or so ago after she had got it, gotten it written. And that is a book called The UFO Bigfoot Connection, and that is by Jeanette LaTulip. Am I, am I pronouncing that right, Jeanette? I should have asked you that probably in the beginning. <laughs> is it tulip, tulip? No, you you got it right the first time, and actually, tulip. Okay. one of five like the flower. people that did it right, right? Oh, excellent, excellent. I'm going to read a little bit uh, from the back of the book here uh, about the, from this book, the UFO Bigfoot Connection. Uh, the extraterrestrial presence in our universe and even that which is evident on our planet is becoming more and more of an accepted reality as droves of evidence continues to mount in the form of government-released documents, amateur video research, witness testimonies from citizens, the military, and more. The UFO Bigfoot connection covers how, incre- how incredulously old mankind really is, who the ETs might be, ancient technology, dominance, and control. The economy manipulating humanity by the way of exploiting their own weaknesses, genetic grooming and redirection, how UFOs and the big feet are related, relocating the new worlds, researchers and aliens joining first forces and forming an alliance, black projects determining whether technology is a benefit or a means to fulfill the end of times, the role of Sasquatch as it relates to the end of the fourth world and our previous worlds, the cycle of maintained ignorance, government and media disclosure, and a brief discussion on if we are witnessing apocalyptic times right now. So there's a lot there <laughs> just in that one paragraph. So, Jeanette, I kind of want to, though, before we start getting into the book and, and the meat of it, I want to kind of like, what is your background? Um, what, uh, what led you to, to write a book about the connection between UFOs and Bigfoot? Well, actually, it started off in childhood because uh, a lot of paranormal activity just always seemed to surround me. And actually, I was quite afraid for many years. I mean, it was either one thing or another. And I really wanted to understand this. So I threw myself into all kinds of religions, uh, mythology. And finally, uh, I joined a sacred mystery school. And they, they were the ones that actually helped me understand there were so many missing pieces in the religion that I subscribed to, but the mystery school filled in those gaps. And um, they helped me really overcome my fear. 
And then uh, I was really good at photography, and I, uh, I'm a psychic photographer, and a lot of my photography has all been validated. Again, uh, the paranormal experiences have never stopped. Um, I live in the woods, and I take a lot of pictures and whatnot here, which are all valid. And, um, and then I started to get into uh, investigating UFOs, because uh, I actually have some that I photographed uh, that aren't on my webpage. And I, I started to see the relationship in everything uh, between science and mythology and religion. And the pieces just happened to fit. So that's, that's why I wrote the book. And um, I don't see things as separate any longer. Okay. When you talk about uh, psychic photography, for someone that may not be familiar with it, I'm not okay. too familiar with it. What, what does that mean? I, I, I was, if I can add here, I was hoping that you weren't going to sure. say something like, I'm going to anticipate what f-stop I'm going to use. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, I'm not. Scotty's a photographer, I, by the way. I am. <laughs> what it is is that I'm, I'm really phenomenal uh, at sensing energy. And um, I, I just feel that something's there. And I take a picture, and lo and behold, it's there. It shows up in the camera. And, and I have okay. a digital uh, camera, and it just it either manifests then or it manifests later. And so okay. um, I, I can start to sense the energy, and I have a feeling of what it might be, and, and, and it's there. And it was really interesting because I was... Uh, fortunate enough to, uh, to uh, talk to uh, their paranormal investigator uh, with Ground Zero Radio. And um, he, the, the person that did the investigating, his name is Roger, and he married a medium. And as it turns out, uh, he never believed in any of this stuff. He thought it was all kind of, you know, nonsense until his brother died. And then his, his, since his brother died, his brother he feels has been guiding him because he he received proof that he asked for to make sure that it was his brother and uh he took a picture of his wife at a campfire and um across the flames from her honestly was a it looked like a 13th century griffin in full detail i mean there was nothing to the imagination and it was watching her through the flames so so that's the feeling that he had, and then it manifested on film. Hmm. Interesting. It, I want to ask you about the title of the book. You call the book The UFO Bigfoot Connection, as I said before, Our Past, Our Present, Our Hell. Right. What to explain that title for us? What, what do you mean, and what do you mean specifically by, by our hell? Because that's a very like when you when you sent me the, the what the title was going to be of the book, it really uh, grabbed me. It's like wow, that's an interesting take because you never really think of Bigfoot and hell in the same right in the same place. You know what I mean? Well, I, I guess it's like anything else. All of us can look at a movie, and it and the same movie will impact all of us differently. And 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 for me, the information in the book is exceptionally frightening. Um, if you take and you deliberate on on every paragraph you know just read it and just really think about that paragraph for a while 
And um, basically, it takes us from um, more or less the, the beginnings of recorded time, and it takes us up to the present, and it's about genetic manipulation and, and what, what our history and what our future may be through this genetic manipulation. And it has to okay. do, as you may well know, about the giants that were found. And, and they, they seem to be all over the world. And what, also what part they play in all of this, in this genetic uh, business that's going on. And personally, I think, you know, it, the book plays out in the genes and, and what those genes can be used for. And it, and it does kind of describe who these very large people were. We found them at the beginning of time, and yet Bigfoot is there now. So so are you referring to the Nephilim, the, um, uh, the Genesis 6, um, that what is portrayed in Genesis right. 6? I, and I am. And I have, in the okay. book, I have a photograph of that being. And, um, and uh, my husband and I were... Uh, we knew a big footer, and uh, we were talking to him, and he came in at one o'clock in the morning, and uh, from out from Bigfooting, he recorded a very, very long Bigfoot call he and his son did, and then we were coming back, and we saw this strange anomaly along this road that was over seven miles long, and we were wondering what the heck that was, and you know insects are, aren't normally flying at sunset, so. There was over seven miles worth of insects, and we figured that they were mosquitoes. And I turned around, and I said, there's something there. I'm going to photograph it. I don't know what it is. I'll photograph it. But anyway, as it turns out, these insects are migrating toward a beam that was descending from the sky. And in the beam, orbs were traveling in that beam. And the insects are migrating toward the beam, and they encircled it. And the person that analyzed it was saying, no, that beam is probably actually larger uh, than what you photographed because your camera probably couldn't pick up those frequencies. So anyway, uh, the beam was coming down the fourth floor, and if you recall, uh, Lynn Moon Howe was talking to that rancher, and he also said that a beam was coming down to the fourth floor. At the bottom of the beam was a Bigfoot. And so the beam, the picture that I took, was, I don't know, it was probably around 6 p.m., something like that, of the same day that he came back. The beam was in the same area that the Bigfoot was recorded. And um, it was going down to the forest floor. So was 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 Bigfoot, is, is he coming from, well, this particular Bigfoot, was it coming from, say, like a flying saucer, or was it, was it more like a coming from like an interdimensional I, Area. I don't know because, like, I couldn't see it with my eyes. I could only sense that it was there. If I could have yeah. seen that beam, well, then I would have had my video on and I would have run it up to see what was at the top of that beam. But as it was, I could only capture the beam and the orbs in it. I would have. So then, hmm? so then the uh, the Bigfoot. I'm sorry, the Bigfoot was effectively invisible then. Well, it was at a place where, that I couldn't see. Because I was yeah. miles away from that area, and I just caught the beam going down in that area, which is a ley line area. Okay. So, so there would be a connection there between the ley lines and where like, the UFOs would be, and then also Sasquatch? Likely. Um, Sasquatch was seen a number of times in that area. 
by him. And also, too, he used to go out Sasquatching, and he used to have other people come to him for help because they had evidence Sasquatch on a property of theirs. Okay. Well, what I want to ask you about, I want to ask you, because you mentioned the Nephilim, you mentioned the the giant skeletons. Do you believe that there's a link between, because some people do believe that there's a link between the uh, Sasquatch Bigfoot and also the the Nephilim. And I think some of that is because of this, the the size of of Bigfoot as opposed to like what the Nephilim were supposed to be. Do you think that there is a connection there? The thing is, is that there's a lot of research done on this, and what I found out is that definitely they think that Bigfoot is a type of human, and and the uh, at at least it is half Homo sapien on the maternal line, but they can't identify um, what being it is on the other aspect, and then uh, some more research has been done by Ketchum, and then so. She was saying, or, or she, she has a plethora of research, and she, she wanted her findings to be, to be believed, um, because there was so much supporting evidence on this. That yeah. um, this is Dr. Melba Ketchum, right, the right. Um, doctor that did right. the, the the hair sample, the the DNA. Right. I, I know that's that's been very controversial. Right, and and then, but she believes the half of it the other half may be sloth rather than an ape. And as it, as it turns out, they were saying that lemurs are a mix of prim- have a mix of primitive characteristics that are shared with anthropoid primates. And they, they yield insight on primate and human evolution. And someone else was pointing out that, that if they did come from lemura, lemur sank, and then that would have gotten rid of all the evidence that was there. But what I'm what I'm alluding to in the book is that these animals or these large animals have existed for a very, very long period of time. And I don't know how I can phrase this correctly, but I think that they're a type of a blank. Um, they're 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 a bank in that their genes can be um, the, uh, manipulated up or down in the Bigfoot. I think that I think if there was a catastrophe that ever happened, that the Bigfoot could be developed into modern human. And I think it has. This has happened many, many times as we look back on history, as we've gone through these worlds. I know there was a researcher named Lloyd Pye uh, that passed away recently, and you know he's very famous for the Star Child Skull, right. and and he postulated that a Bigfoot would actually be what would be native to this planet if aliens, in his theory, mm-hmm. had not come down and messed with our DNA. So I found found that very interesting. And what you just said there that they could potentially rebreed them into human right. because they're half human already. Okay. They're half human already, so they can do it up and down. I mean, what they're planning on doing to chips with people is is absolutely abominable. And yeah. the information is in the book about this. By by 2030, they plan on making us into basically hybrid robots. 
I mean, uh, this is Google. He, Google's director of engineering. This is part of the plan for humanity. So, uh, uh, Scotty, was there something that you wanted to say? I heard you kind of chime uh, in there, there a little there bit. There was. Uh, where I'm going back on this, um, I've got a question for you. Um, a lot of this falls into that category of, and by the way, I'm I'm only being skeptical in the sense that I say, I say there are two different kinds of skeptics, the big S and the small S. Mm-hmm. And the big S are the deniers, the small S are those who question everything in order to learn something. And I've always firmly put myself in that small S category. And so I I would ask on some of these things, I know that there are some things that we know about the Nephilim from source books like Genesis uh, and some of the other Old Testament books. But we start to see expansion on these things as it becomes more mythology, in a sense that that alien mythos or that even that biblical mythos, where we add things to what we know based on blank, fill in the blank. And so I, I want to ask you, with some of the things that you put forward, um, that uh, Bigfoot might be, you know, like the the human genome blank or something that you could fill in to do this or do do that, or that uh, uh, Bigfoot may be the Nephilim in the sense that uh, maybe one of the, as Lloyd Pye said, one of the original, uh, if you will, bipedal hominids on this planet. But we start speculating about a lot of different things, and the question that always comes to my mind is, that's very intriguing, but where do we get that information? How do we know that? Is this all for you like it is for me on some things that I write about, is this all pure speculation that's based on, um, what would you call it, circumstantial evidence or on looking at the deeper picture and saying this must be, it must be something like X, Y, or Z? What is it for you that brings you to your conclusions? Well, it's a number of things. Like, uh, like the book, like I said, starts at the beginning and it brings in a lot of research and a lot of scientific fact. And from that fact, I've concluded something. Then I take my conclusion. Then I get more scientific fact. And, and then I conclude something else. I mean, Bigfoot is a highly, it's speculated that it's highly intelligent. And it has animal-like cunning. But... A researcher also said, and more, and I've read so many books about this and, and so many studies and, and case reports, and their researchers conclude that it has particular behaviors that are, are let's just say, psychic behaviors. And Yeah, and I've book, heard of stuff like right, that myself. Yeah. I think it's really, I really think it's empathic. And I, I've gotten some photography here just recently that was that's way out there, but it's it's there. And based on 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 the behaviors from these reports and how it acts, I would say that you know that it can do all of those things, and it's 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 incredibly strong. And what better to survive a Holocaust? as they're finding bones from way back then, from very large peoples, you know, and, 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 and it goes on, the book goes on to describe 
populations, what happens when you isolate a population, when you do genetic manipulation, and everything else, how you can derive a being that can survive all kinds of different things. And the population of these seems to be growing because when they do an analysis of it, it's, they can't readily discern anymore. Is, is it so much this or it's so much that? It seems to be holistic. It seems to be like a being all unto itself. So the population, that would indicate that the population is actually growing. And it's, it's an animal. I mean, obviously, it's that intelligent and that strong. If something is coming, it can survive. And if it goes way back, way, way back, it probably was the blank that brought the worlds together. And when they looked back, they said, oh, look at Look at how we look like. We look like this. We look like that. We were just big. Then all of a sudden, oh, look, we skipped about 20 steps, and here we are. You know? Well, it- the speculation, I mean, there's, there's speculation that if the, the, about it possibly being Gigantopithecus, this is more kind of the you know, the, the Jeff Meldrum idea that that he has that uh, you know that it came over the Bering Land Strait, and if if it is a real creature, then it it is it 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 has definitely existed and lived for a very long time, so it would have to be rugged. I, I wanted to ask you your own personal experiences with Bigfoot. Well. Well, I, I, I did take that picture. Also, too, um, I don't have my, my case in front of me, but uh, one night we had uh, a crazy thing happen. I, I felt a particular kind of energy, was very, very restless about it. So I got up thinking how highly unusual it was and that I couldn't dissipate this feeling. Mm-hmm. So I, I looked out the front yard, and, and usually, you know, these things happen around midnight, one in the morning, whatever. And then it's up the front yard, nothing. And so I just went to where my instincts told me, and I went out the backyard, looked to the left, nothing, looked in front of me, nothing. But to the right, there it was, a few, you know, maybe about 100 yards away around in that ballpark area. And I went out and measured the area. It was a 15-foot-wide orange orb. And then it had, as though you would put your finger in the center at about the 2 o'clock and the 7 o'clock positions, there were like pieces of a pie that would just illuminate and they would be jagged, but one would mirror the other. And they would would, uh, be a brighter orange than the rest of it. Of course, there was no light that would... um, that would go beyond the rim of this orb. And so as I broadcast, I thought, well, okay, fine. You want to play games? Fine. So I just broadcast emotion and energy, and every time I did, it would light up. So it was it was being pretty good at staying there, so I went to go get my night gear, my night vision, and it didn't show up in the night vision, and that was because it was a high-energy source and not a low-energy source. So anyway, I kept doing this for a while, until it, and then I was getting very, very tired, and it turned white, and it just, only parts of it would show up now, fractional amounts that would flicker, 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 and then out. 
And then shortly after that, maybe a day or two later, we were laying in bed late at night, and we heard this whistling. And it, it was a different whistle because as we whistle and we build up our whistle, you know, we build up to a pitch. But this was mm-hmm. as strong at the beginning as it wasn't when it ended. And there were probably about three whistles. And I nudged my husband. I go, do you hear that? And he goes, yeah. And then, and so, and then, like a couple nights later, we heard it call out. And it has a very human quality to its voice. But the thing is, it was just, when we were laying in bed and he heard this and he said, boy, he said, that really, really sounds scary. He said, can you move? And I'm thinking, no, I'm all cocky and I think I can move. You know, and I left my head up off the pillow, but that's all I could do. And he said, well, I can't move either. And so we were listening to this, but when we heard the voice, it it actually sounded like it was right there in the room with me, like right over my shoulder. And it, you could hear the breath come out of the mouth, and it was a rasp. And then before it would give its call, and I was totally stunned. And I've been doing um, some looking into sound, and... Um, and then I just read something just recently about it. And also, too, lions do the same thing. And what, what happens is before they, they get their call or their roar, they, there's a sound that comes out that's undetectable, except for on a subconscious level. And what that does is temporarily stunts its prey so that they don't move. What you described there to me sounds very much like a classic sleep paralysis experience. It, it may have been. It, yeah. And we may have been, but here we are talking to each other and we're listening to this thing. Mm-hmm. And then and then there's that, and then I go out like maybe the next day or whatever after, and then I I see a footprint on the side of the house. And, and this, is, this is cold. Nobody's running around out there barefoot. And then so I, in the same conditions, I leave... And I, I was fairly heavy, and I, I leave a quarter of an inch impression. And this was two and a half inches deep. So I have that photograph. And then I went over, and uh, and then later I looked at the chicken coop, which is probably in the ballpark of 75 feet away, and it's over a little uh, taller than five feet along our chicken coop. And there was hair, dense hair, all over the top of the wiring up there and then um and then after that then um uh like it again um within a day or so later i'd go out into the backyard and my breath is completely taken away by this smell and it smells to me like a match only only highly amplified so and i can't take a breath and i have to run in the house to breathe well it it felt the smell was was in a confined area, in a, in almost like in a circumference. And then after I went in the house and then I started to cook dinner and then I opened up the kitchen window and it was there too. And, and my husband is just hollering, you know, shut that window, you know? <laughs> yeah. And, you know, and then so anyway, so I shut the window and it was there. And then so later on that evening, we sat down to watch TV and stuff, 
And then, so then that smell came over to the living room window, which would have put it in the position to look over our shoulders at the TV. So it was there, and then so, um, and I deliberately tested, went over to the different windows, and it wasn't at those windows any longer. And then so um, it stayed there, and we shut the window, and then he went to bed early that night, and it was like 10 o'clock at night, and I went over and opened up the window, and that smell was still there. I didn't, I didn't see how long it was there, but I just continued, you know, to go to bed after that. And then um, not too much longer after that, it was strange. I couldn't figure this one out. But uh, we went over and we found the, uh, where I found the foot, footprint. We have a lot of brush here. And usually, you know, if we have wind, it just captures everything. But I thought it was very strange to find an eyedropper by the footprint. Okay. And that was... Yeah, I read I read that in your right. book. That That is... I mean, could that have just been something that was maybe thrown out with the trash, or I mean, no, we don't. We don't have those things in our house. Okay, no, nothing like that. You know, the hair that you collected that was on the cage. Um, did you take that anywhere? Did you have? Do you still have it? Did you do anything with it? It, it rained after, and and the rain came down, and I thought, oh my god, because I waited like two or three days before I collected it. And then, okay. and, and, and I thought, oh, God, the hair. And I go running out there. It was raining. And I got only one, but I'm not sure if it was that one. I got it from the bottom of the wire instead of the top where it, where it all was. And then um, I brought a metal detector out to where the orb was. I wasn't getting anything. But I could, I could sense on my hands, I could sense a pressure in an area as if, you know, you put your hands up and something's pushing back, that kind of a thing. And all of the, um, the air was all electrified and it was electrified for a good two weeks afterwards because all the, every time I went out there, all my hair stood up on my, on my arms. Scotty, what do you think about that experience? Well, I, uh, all of these things take on that, um, as a listener, I really want to believe this. I really want to accept it. But what wants to kick in are the questions that we need to ask along the way. Is uh, um, how do you possibly, in those situations, rule out um, what it, what else it might have been? And that's that's kind of the process you have to take. Mm-hmm. It's almost like you have to rule everything out in order to come down to the conclusion that it can't be anything else but this. And uh, I was going to ask uh, through the, the your your uh, your speaking here um, if you had had any of those samples tested for DNA. I know water can corrupt DNA, soil can corrupt DNA, um, and handling it can corrupt DNA. Um, I didn't read your book, so I, I'm not sure what the the water dropper or eyedropper reference was all about. It but, may be uh, related. It may not. I just, okay. You know, I just saw it there, but. Believe me, I've racked my brain of what could produce that orb. And the, as it appeared, how it reacted to things I was doing and how it finally uh, flickered out, that was absolutely incredible. And I do not see any way that that could be re- reproduced. Well, see, and these are, these are the type of incidences that when you put them together, 
they mean something greater than the sum of their parts. But the problem was, it's like, you're like Moses at the burning bush. Um, God spoke to me in this burning bush, but I was the only guy there, and I'm the only guy who heard his voice, and so you're going to have to trust me on how I say this. And right. so you're you're stuck in that rock right. in a hard place of saying, I have experienced something, right. and I'm a rational, um, uh, um, um, there's another word I was looking for, but a rational individual, and uh, I have some credibility behind me. I might believe things that you don't believe, but uh, damn it, this is what my experience was. And there's somebody else that's going to come along and say, well, you can't prove any of it, so it doesn't mean anything. Right. All we have really is, is um, a photograph of the footprint. I have a hair that I'm not quite that sure of. And my husband did hear the whistling and the calling out. And he was unable to move to. That's, that's what I have. When you see these orbs, Jeanette, um, are these like just big balls of energy? Are they more like just big balls of just like of just like light? I mean, in other words, I'm saying it like, is it a solid orb of energy that you're seeing? Or are you seeing like kind of like a more of a translucent or transparent well, ball of light? The orange one was, um, yeah, it was it was uh, translucent. Okay. And and it had those those wedges, those points that came out and flared up every time I sent it energy. They were a brighter, brighter orange, and let's say the one at 2 o'clock, the left side of it and the right side of it mirrored each other. Um, so, like, if there was a squiggle to the left, the other one had a squiggle to the left. You know what I'm trying to say? Gotcha. Yeah, and, and that's what happened. And then when I stopped sending it en- energy, it, would, it just ceased. And it, it, it's, it's almost that it came down to actually incite this, to incite this energy so that it could be collected. Um, because I've noticed that uh, when, when I take another photography of, of much smaller orbs and nothing, nothing on this scale before, uh, I had mm-hmm. a friend of mine ask me that, you know, what's the difference between the bright ones and the dim ones? And I said, well, you know, the bright ones have just recently fed. And I, I do believe um, that these things feed on energy. I mean, they're, they're, on, they're on battlegrounds. Uh, neighbors have caught them around their children playing. Anytime there's excessive energy, they're, they're, in, um, they're in mine cave-ins. They're... I mean, I, I, I realize a certain amount of that can be dust, but, but um, if you look on my site and look how brilliant they are in color, you know, you'll, you'll think something different. Have, the, have these followed you most of your life? Um, yeah, they, they've been around, and um, I'll sit there, and uh, I'll just, just for fun, there's a photograph of me in the book, and I'm standing out there on the lawn, and, and my husband had a hard time with this whole thing. And then, so he started taking pictures, and he said, "You know what? They're they're real, and and they just come in, and 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 a lot of these things have happened. I'll sit there at night, and and uh, you know the furniture will move. Um, it's just all kinds of crazy things, and you know somebody was saying sometime back that you know that they believe that." these things are demons and whatnot from another dimension. I, you know, I'm really uh, reconsidering things. I, I'm, 
the religious angle, I'm really not sure anymore. I'm not so sure that so many of these things just aren't interdimensional beings. I mean, I caught that that one, and usually things go, I never believed in this stuff either, trust me. I, um, like around when the veil is thin, around the 21st of October, I thought, you know, that's just, you know, that's just a little fairy tale or something like that. So sure. anyway, when I called, when I feel this energy, I go out there and that, that photograph has been analyzed and that's legitimate. I mean, that is like a reptilian being that's caught. And, you know, that I caught that, and it's, it. I'm not so sure. Like I said, I mean, some people would say, you know, that's a demon or that's demonic. But I'm not so sure that's just another interdimensional being. You know, that, because it it goes on to describe in the book, it goes on to DNA and how much of our, how much of our consciousness we actually is. I mean, for the most part, most of us just use 10%, you know, which is intrinsically tied yeah. in with our other DNA. But we only use 10% of, of our conscious awareness. And for the rest of us that have, have uh, a greater expansion of this, I mean, we see things and we sense things and, and we try to bring it to the world. And yes, it, you know, it looks like lunacy to a 10 percenter you know it just just does well i, I want to ask you too about you know if you ever had what is what we termed like the classic alien abduction experience i mean have you had any contact with what we would what we would call aliens i you know and and those aliens in my book too really um especially the grays i really think they're us um but i'm going to call them aliens for right now and I did have an experience like that. Um, I've been in, in denial of, of it for a very, very long time. Um, you know, because when you talk to friends and whatnot, you know, you try and come across and just speak about mundane things. And um, sure. it, yeah, it was it's frightening. I've had I've had marks put on me. I've had blood in my hand. Um, I've had bruises put on me of hand marks that. Uh, definitely aren't mine and you can tell that they had to been someone else's because of where the thumbs left their impression I, I couldn't have done it and um, and then I had uh, another incident where I was in a condo with my husband and we had all kinds of things going on first I was in the kitchen and we had three blasts coming through an overhead light in the kitchen and there were like white balls and they and they went down our hallway Looks like they mm-hmm. went in their bedroom, and I walked down the hallway and just said hi, you know. And I didn't see anything in there, and I, I thought, well, that's interesting. And, and then after that, my animals freaked out, and they, my cat was shrieking, and it couldn't stand to look in a mirror, and and uh, <coughs> sorry, and all these other things happened. And then, um, and then I, I, I couldn't pray. Uh, the door started rattling, the doorknob started turning, the door was shaking, you could see shadow footprints under the door. Um, and then um, after after that, and then um, I kept being extremely cold at night, and then uh, um, I, I tried really, really hard, conscious effort to keep my eyes open. It was, it was so monumental for me to do this. And then I saw two little grays at the foot of the bed 
and and one on my left side. And um, I don't remember too much after that. I, I kind of remember their reaction because the taller one on my left was very, very surprised when my eyes were open. And um, and But the carpet had white frost all over it, white, white frost, to the point where you left footprints in it the next morning. And that my husband remarked how cold it was, and it was only cold like that on my side of the bed. And then every time one of these things happened, the statuary in the bedroom, I have little knickknacks and stuff, was turned around, and it was all facing the window that I, I thought I was dreaming and, and went out of. And just Were some of these religious statuary? No, they, these, these weren't, but um, this wasn't. This was just a, a ceramic rabbit that I had. Okay. And, um, but I've had some other weird things with other dolls and stuff. Um, that were Japanese, but um, anyway, so then there was that, and, and just recently, um, I, um, I had a dream. I, I thought it was a dream, and then uh, I dreamt, I really hate to say this because it, it just sounds so far-fetched, and then um, that I went on to, I was, I was examined, and then I was put into a uniform, and I found myself, I was Somewhere, I found myself somewhere, and then there was problem with the ship, and um, some people came in on my left, at, but the man that was working on the problem came over to me, and he put, he leaned down toward me, and he put his forehead about four inches from my forehead, and he told me I was on a spaceship, and he told me some other things, and I had a logo on my left side, on my, on my pocket, and then I get up the next morning, fortunately, the dream that I thought I was having happened close to morning when I could remember it. And I mm -hmm. thought, well, that's, you know, that's, okay, that's a dream. That, that was just weird. And then, so, I just read about something just recently about using a black light. And I said, you know what? Just for fun, I'm going to go get that black light. And they go, oh, my God. And then I called my husband in the bathroom. I go, will you look at this? And then, so... Apparently, um, somebody found out that that abductees, for some reason, they have fluorescent markings on them, and so uh, which is typical, which is on the face. Sometimes they're found on the abdomen and different parts of the body. Well, my my nose was all fluorescent green, and then it looked like it looked like I had a line run up my nostril because there's this there's this line mark. And then, and it looked like it went into my nose because I, I would shine the light, the black light up my nose, and the, the trail of fluorescence went up into my nose. So I have that. That's and then I have that. It wow. Yeah, and then I've had, <laughs> never heard something something like that at all. It's wow. very frightening. And then and then I've had other dreams, and I don't want to say what the nature of those are because they were very negative, and I found them intensely frightening. And my, sure. my children were screaming, and, and my husband was just upset, knowing what, what he saw going in the house and or what my children saw. My children were screaming so much of the time, and I was so distressed. And, um, well, one of these dreams that I woke up, I, um, I what happened to me? Um, I dreamt that three women put a mark on the base of my neck. It was a dot, an orange dot. 
And um, the next morning I woke up and I had my left palm up over the side of the bed. And um, I started to get up and I looked at my hand and my palm was filled with liquid blood. And nobody had any scratches or marks or bruises or anything on my body. So I was trying to get rid of this stuff. And I sat up in bed and my husband came over to look at me. And, uh, I, you know, when I sat there, he turned around, like, you know, to, to see me. And then he said, what's that on you? I go, what are you talking about? He said, you have stock on the base of your neck. And I said, you're serious? And he goes, yeah. And I said, well, well, take it off. Take it off now. So anyway, so he's trying to take it off. And I thought he was going to tear my flesh off. I mean, he was scraping and scraping with his nails, and I'm screaming, you know, and said, take it easy. And he goes, well, I can't get it off, you know. And then so finally he got it off, and I go, where is it? But I guess it rolled up, and he could he could never find it. We could never find out what it was made out of, you know, but it, it coincided with the dream, and we never ever found out where the blood came from. I want to ask you this, and you had mentioned at the beginning of the interview, you'd mentioned that you had been initiated in some kind of mystery school. Right. These events that you just described to me, were was did that did these happen after you were initiated into this? Yeah. Um, a lot of the things were from childhood, and I, I was born with a veil. Okay, like the call right. on the face. Yeah, I've heard of I that. I don't know if that has anything to do with anything. That I just was. Um, I, I went to parochial school. Um, my instructors thought I was exceptional. And um, they taught me certain things because they, they did think I was exceptional. And um, that's about it. And then it, I was so fearful. I mean, I was very uh, devoted in prayer um, and so forth. But... Um, uh, no, it just it continued, and I couldn't find any answers. And it was really interesting because um, when I was on KRGO, I was, I was talking to to Jimmy Church, and in our teachings, like I say, uh, I'm starting to rethink everything. And uh, and in our teachings, they they teach you a number of things, but but a lot of it, as they say, is to communicate with your higher. Self, um, your God self, you know, your your holy guardian angel, and uh, it was really interesting because he got another caller on there, and the other caller said um, that he said, you know what? He said all this time, or, or he said, I'm paraphrasing, all this time we were we were told to pray to God, and he said, you know. I think we've been praying to the wrong thing. And I that just stopped me in my tracks right there. And I I called Jimmy and, and basically what I told him was that, um, you know, I really believe what he said. I really I said the more I've been studying this and these ancient languages and what what Hitler Hitler claims to have communicated with alien intelligences, and he was very, very much into the occult, which is another name for secret knowledge. 
very yeah. much into that, to, to contacting intelligences. You know, really, I don't believe right now, it may be a language to contact God, but it, it's also a language that is used, in my opinion, to contact alien intelligences. And, and another reason, okay, another reason to help support that at this time is that when I was in the, in the mystery school, you cannot believe how flooded it was with military membership. Jeanette, what, can, can you say what the mystery school was? Uh, same one Hitler used, the Golden Dawn. I mean, I'm, so we, I'm we're it. talking about. I'm going to say it because it was in a text that the one that Hitler was using. Okay, so we're talking about the Golden Dawn, the the 19th century right. um, Crowley. society right. that yeah that Crowley was a part of, McGregor Mathers founded. Right. And and as a matter of fact, now I can't remember its name or not, but there is mention that Alistair Alistair Crowley contacted a gray, and it said what his name was. Or rather, not not that he contacted a gray, but his contact looked like a gray, I believe. Yeah, this would be lamb. Okay, yeah. there you go. And yeah. I think that the languages and the, the rituals you use are to contact these intelligences. And um, let's see what I don't know. I think you're probably right. <laughs> I, 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 I do believe that. I, I do believe that, given everything. I was given also, too. It, it was really interesting because one of the things I did, and, and, and why else would it be flooded with military? I mean, it was a higher ratio of, I, I mean, of, of every other person being in the military in there. I mean, that's, that's crazy. Yeah, I think secret societies tend to attract people, you know, obviously from the upper crust, and, and also you, you will see a lot of military they they had they do have an obsession with military orders. Uh, you know, Scotty, what's what's your impression on this? Boy, you know this is the kind of stuff that I, I I'm listening and I like listening. I like hearing what you're hearing or what I'm hearing because it ties into so many other things that I seem to have run into uh, with yeah. these things. And and Jeanette, I get the the feeling that you're just expressing, you're just relating, and you're opening up, and you and you're just. You're you're not like trying to teach us one thing or tell us one thing. You're 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 kind of just relating your experiences here, and um, with all of this stuff, this secret order stuff, and and all of that, it really. I have always said that there is more to meets the eye than what we get in your superficial, if you will, look at UFOs. You look at Bigfoots. You look at aliens. That there is definitely a, um, you mentioned this interdimensional quality, and I say that there there is a quality about all of this that transcends what we think we already know and how things work, and uh, so, and I'm even jumping around in my comment on here. I thought I had a question for you in there, and I really don't. Uh, more than just a comment to say, you're dealing with the stuff that your scientists and your skeptics don't want to have to consider and don't want to have to deal with. And that is no. that more intuitional thing that you possess. I got Go a, 
I got a comment on that. I, I got to again. I have to go back to how much DNA we use, and and I don't know why, but sorry, but they were saying people with higher IQs actually have greater access to their conscious mind, which makes them more aware of these things, you know. But I, I and and I have to say I, I'm very grateful that. Some of the integration of this is, is starting to occur. Now, I'm accountable to someone. Let's just say I have a boss or a supervisor, you know, when, when I do my cases. Anyway, the supervisor didn't want to look at Bigfoot, didn't want anything to do with Bigfoot. And I said, if you want complete answers, you have to look at the complete, um, the complete picture. So anyway, he still didn't want anything to do with it. Then I brought up something else. No, 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 I'm not going to look at it. I said, how can I complete my case if I'm not thorough? Okay, so anyway, I, apparently I or other people in combination presented enough information. Well, lo and behold, we had, let's say, like a mini symposium, and they actually put together film clips to put together to show and, and there have been researchers on abduction cases, and I have a whole bunch more information on that. But anyway, um, on abduction cases, that I mentioned these things. And, you know, they're just uh, they're saying the evidence is totally undeniable. I had to be dragged, kicking and screaming, because I refuted this so much, but I can't deny it anymore. We have to bring this in. You know, and hopefully, and they're looking at a way now to try and scientifically make it presentable to the scientific area, you know, because it, it's it's awkward. It's a un- very awkward point, but it's still, it's, they find it undeniable. And we're talking, we're talking about scientists and physicists and, and researchers and journalists and attorneys and, you know, school teachers and everybody, you know, that's starting to get into the field and they're starting to acknowledge. But then again, so many people, like I said, are 10 percenters. And it's really hard to convey this information without them having a plethora of trust in an individual that they can actually acknowledge this. You know, because I'm looking looking at 13th century art and everything else, I'm like, okay, if all these things are there and all these pictures are there and all the statuary is there, what is the difference between them and now, why they could acknowledge and see then? And our vision seems to be so much dimmer now, you know? Apparently somebody saw something to build all of that stuff. So what's happened between now and then? Well, I I think that, uh, well, first of all, one thing I want to respond to with scientific community, it seems to me you start treading on the nomenclature of science any specific scientific facet, and you're going to have resistance. Because you said there are some in those communities that are trying to find a way to bridge that gap without seeming like they're too into the woo factoring and so on, and so they're trying to find a scientific way to do it. And what I have always said is that science is this thing that it holds itself up as because we cannot quantify or qualify it, from scientific terms, as we understand science uh, and what exists around us, 
then it must not exist. It, there must not be anything to it. And I think science is beginning to understand that there is more to the subconscious. There's more to consciousness in general. Right. And uh, again, trying to for them to try to bridge the gap there is the hard part between you know academic and alternative uh, ways of thinking. Right. And uh, uh, and also on a theological plane, you, you run into the same thing. I've always said atheists or skeptics uh, of this kind of thing, and atheists in general, they're more religious than the religious-minded. They are more theological. They have more dogmas than those who are theologically dogmatic uh, because you there are certain rules they operate by, and if they have to violate that or are being asked to violate that by somebody who has violated those rules for them, then they cannot possibly come and meet you in the middle anywhere. Science just becomes a religion ultimately in, in a way. Yeah. It's a, it's a religion using the scientific method. Well, Jeanette, uh, it, it, we're, we're almost out of time here, but uh, was there a point that you wanted to make real quick? Well, no, not really, but I did. I, I don't even know if I should even tread here, but okay. There was a, as far as as far as joining uh, uh, mythology or the secret school wisdom with, with science, there was this interesting abduction case, and and well, a lot of the missing people are about okay my height. They're about five two, five three, right in there, and that go missing. And a lot of children are taken and whatnot in the woods that are that height. And it was really interesting. And a lot of people that are being abducted are that height. And it was it was interesting hmm. to see a drawing uh, that I saw not too long ago. And what happens is that in our order, there's a, one of the tools that's used is a chalice, and it's it's supposed to be a lotus blossom. And what it does is it's a feminine instrument and tool, and what it draws, it's supposed to draw the spirit into it, and the cup is supposed to be filled with the spirit. And so the, the book relates the blood as an energy source. And, of course, the soul or the spirit is a powerful energy source because they were saying that even a drop of water can level a two-story building if you know how to tap the energy within it. Well, in this abduction drawing, okay, the, the person being abducted referred to this thing that was wrapped around him as a lotus. So I'm... I'm corresponding that lotus with the tool and the purpose of the tool. So what happened was this person said that when they were taken into the ship, they went up and over on top of them as though it was inverted with a lotus. And they went up inside the lotus. So knowing what the tool does and and possibly them comparing that to the lotus, and that was over that person. And, and, and thinking about how much energy is drawn from us by these things. I mean, it seems like we're being used almost as a power source by these things. Yeah. They're gathering, they're, they're, they're over the ley lines, yeah. they're over seismic areas. Uh, I made a reference to radon gas which gives off uh, explosions, little mini explosions, bursts of energy. And isn't that funny? That's, that's where the, a lot of the UFOs are, are being seen. 
I, I d- yeah, there's yeah. I, I think that there is something to some of that. The possibility that we're almost maybe even just like like emotionally or mentally, we're some kind of food source for something. You know, I, I think that there's a, definitely something to that. And, and why else we put in this emotional state in a state of constant war and this state, yeah, constant chaos? Our, there's a reason for it. Our, our, you know, just just constant fear as well. Right. Well, Jeanette, uh, tell everybody where that uh, where they can get your book, and also give out your website for people to contact you, and also to see the pictures that you've taken. Oh, okay. Um, well, you can see the pictures uh, I've taken. They're at JLC Artscapes. That's A R T S C A P E S uh, dot ImageKind. I M A G E K I N D backslash store backslash and they are they are in the are we alone gallery and um my my book the ufo big book connection can be purchased at amazon or authorhouse.com and and you can get it you can order it through barnes and noble too Oh, excellent. Excellent. Well, Jeanette, you've, you've been a very good guest, and uh, I've appreciated you coming on the show and talking about your experiences. It's very interesting. Thank you, both of you. It was a pleasure. <laughs> Thank you. Thanks, Jeanette. You have a very good evening. You too, both of you. Bye. 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 Scotty. Yes, sir. We're still rolling. Uh, we're, you know, we're we're still on the show. So, you know, that, uh, that was interesting, man. You know, uh, the... There's something about listening to somebody like her that intrigues me just to listen. Um, I started out a bit with, uh, well, we don't know that, and how do you know that for sure, and things like that. But the more I listened to her, the more I said, I've got to put this firmly in the category of, of a cognitive experience on the part of an individual. This, And then normally when I get to these kinds of determinations about something somebody who's saying something is they're saying is i have to determine whether or not they are a credible individual because when i hear things that are bordering the incredulous i say one of the only ways i have to gauge what they are saying other than just trash canning the whole conversation uh out of out of uh default is to say is the person credible and i don't know enough about her to know about her and what she brings to the table. However, um, she talks about things the way I've heard other people who have had experiences like these. And God knows I've had some of my own experiences that somebody would listen and listen to me right. and say, you're full of, you're full of doo-doo. I want to say this, you know, you will have people that are on, you know, and we talked about science before you you mentioned that and how science has become a religion. Well, you have people that we we would categorize as new age that are very certain about the things that they are talking about almost dogmatically. And she did not strike me in that way. No, I didn't get that uh, at, at all. A lot of her thing, a lot of her material was very experiential and she had had all these experiences and she ran the gamut of experiences from like the Bigfoot stuff to the aliens, to sleep paralysis, to, uh, to, to ghostly phenomenon, orbs, these kind of things, you know, poltergeist phenomenon. Also part of that is, is in the book as well. And then she has a connection to, 
a secret society. Right. That she says. And I found that interesting. You should run that by John. See what uh, he that's about exactly it. what was going through my head. <laughs> and it, it, so, it, and the reason why I asked her the question about whether this happened after she'd gone into the secret society is whether or not you maybe doors had been opened and these things were coming through. But to, according to her, she's born with a call on her face, which if to explain that, and some people may not know what that is, like a child that's born with a call on his face is generally thought to be special in a way and to have some kind of psychic gifts. Am I, am I saying that right? Is that, yeah, that, uh, that, am I categorizing that, that right? That's what I've heard. And, uh, you know, who knows what to make out of that? That that's, that's it sounds so medieval, you know. It's it's uh, bibble bubble right. toil and trouble, you know, and eye of <laughs> Newton, you know, cauldron bubble and things like that. And you know, it has that quality to it. I he was born with a cowl on his face. I tell you, it's a sign from the gods. It's an omen, you know. But we don't know no. that. We don't know that. Right. We don't. So, we don't. Um, but I think to dismiss some of that old stuff is to be irresponsible because we don't know everything. I've always said about okay. science, science is all about uh, proving the fact that there are veils we cannot pierce via science. And so there's a lot out there that we just don't know, and we don't know how to qualify or quantify any of it. Yeah. Uh, you you're you were right about that for sure. Yeah, you know, Scotty, I really appreciate you hanging in with me tonight. I know that you got to go as well. I do. So, thanks for having uh, me. I know that you got to you got to you got to put like all your all 10 of your children to yeah, bed just tonight. About. So, <laughs> I don't know how that happened. <laughs> hopefully the hopefully the rumpus room is not uh, destroyed you know, I, in the house. I used to be is it torn apart? I used to be a college kid who was never going to have kids, you know, and all of a sudden so now you've got like what is it like five six, or six? Uh, two six. are grown up and yeah. out but uh i've got them all the way down to one year old so there you go absolutely well you were going to be back on we just, we talked about it we're going to have you back on in may with john fantastic and we'll do like a more like full a full form show with you so i'm going to close this part out stay on the line for me just a bit scotty and guys we will be back on conspiranormal all right guys we're back on conspiranormal and that was an interesting interview with uh, Jeanette LaTulip. And uh, I want to thank uh, Scotty Roberts for for joining us as well on it. Uh, it was a real treat to have him on. And uh, I have also a, another real treat uh, on the line. Uh, I have a very mysterious individual named Luke. What's up, Luke? Hey, man. I'm, I'm here to spread my infinite wisdom. <laughs> Yeah, man, it sounds terrible. Where, 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 where are you? I am in the uh, poop scene of society called Carthage. <laughs> well, explain that for everybody that might uh, live out in like Slovakia or something. <laughs> where where, where yeah. that is? <laughs> I suppose if you put it that way, it's a little bit nicer in comparison. <laughs> yeah, man. So uh, your your fans are uh, worried about you, man. So I had to request, like, they wanted me to try to find where Luke is. Well, so, you so, so instead, of you, instead of you sleeping through the entire interview, I just thought I'd just call you and just see what's up. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, man, I, I wish I could be there, and I, I hate to let my my uh, fan base down. Yeah, um, there's at least like two guys that I can think of that are your fan base, right? 
<laughs> we, we might have to make some like little copy mugs and t-shirts and stuff like that. <laughs> yeah, with that pi- with that picture of you, dude. <laughs> make me a couple extra dollars. Oh yeah, my my Roman bro god photo. Yeah, Roman bro god. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, what do you think about all this stuff? I talked to Scotty about it earlier and uh, kind of went over it. He had some things to say, but uh, what do you think about all this stuff going on with uh, Donald Trump and politics? Man, it's pretty crazy. Yeah, dude. I mean, I don't think I said it before when whenever we were talking about all that, but I I really am certain, and and so is Trav, that uh, he's not going to get the presidency. It's it's uh, most likely going to be Hillary, and uh, yeah. we we both we both agree on him being a, a sort of Trojan horse to uh, distract everyone and and uh, get everyone on his side. I mean, he knows exactly what he's doing, and and um, all of his. Uh, what you, what you call them, the, the people supporting them and like telling them, counseling them, telling them what to say and what to do. Um, they're all they're all drumming up support. They know exactly what to say to the American people to to get them to to support him. So you think it's just like a Trojan horse to to get in the, to get Hillary elected, basically? Exactly. Yeah, we kind of talked about that on the show before. You know, do you think yeah. he's going to get the nomination? He's yeah. Be uh, nominated for for the uh, Republican nominee. Oh, that, seems, that seems almost up in the air too, right? Because the, there's so much the Republicans are so much against him. Yeah. Yeah, it's pretty crazy. What, what about all the people? Uh, like, like we talked about this too earlier, but like the I want to get your thoughts on it. Like the the guy punching the dude in the in the face. Did you see that? You talking about him getting kicked out of Ohio? Uh, well, no, that was Illinois. He got kicked out of I mean, Ohio. Was where he got attacked. But the uh, the there was in North Carolina. There was this uh, black guy that was a protester. I guess he was protesting. I, I don't know. He's either protesting or he was just there. And he was being led out by the security guards. And this old guy just comes and just like punches him in the face. Uh, so, really heated about about this election, man. For some reason, I'm. I know, man. People people get really heated about Donald Trump. It's like right. everywhere you turn. I can't get on my Facebook feed and without seeing Donald Trump these days, dude. So we we yeah. see this obvious like ma- like massive kind of effort for everyone to be more progressive and more PC and stuff going on nowadays. You know, like. Uh, and he's just the complete opposite of, of that progression yeah. going on. You know, he's he's just totally contrary to to the to like the mass uh, the mass you know progression that's going on. Well, it seems like he's 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 tapped into like the just all the frustration. You know what I mean? All the frustration that people feel about our political establishment and then also like our social establishment too. And right. I'm telling you, dude, like this, the whole thing in Chicago, I mean, it, it, it was scary, man. I mean, that, that r- r- just really brought to mind like the 1968 Chicago convention and people were fighting each other in the streets, dude. They were fighting each other. I mean, this is, I mean, and we haven't even gotten to the nomination. It's friggin' March. Yeah, that that's what uh, that's what he just said. What that's what Trav just said. He's over here shaking his head, saying we haven't even seen the worst of it yet. Yeah, I know it. Now, we you guys uh, have you guys seen any UFOs out there tonight? Uh, I hadn't been really looking up at the skies, man. Uh, but 
no, unfortunately, we, we did we did have some kind of strange phenomena. Like, uh, I wasn't looking. Like, I had my head, um, well, I think I was buried in my phone or something while we were on the interstate coming back from my work trip in Oklahoma. Yeah. Uh, we're, we're in BFE, Arkansas, just like in the middle of it somewhere. And both guys, uh, Nick and Debo, look out the window, you know, my window on the passenger side, and they see a childlike figure walking down the side of the interstate. Yeah, walking down the side of the interstate in the middle of nowhere, no lights, just absolute, like, darkness, nothing. And they said that he turned around and looked at the truck, and they said that he didn't have a face. What? Yeah. You didn't see this at all? I I didn't see it. Like, whenever they started talking about it, I, I quickly, like, looked up, and I turned around and tried to look out of the back window and everything, and I didn't see anything. Dude, that's crazy. If, yeah, they're not, if they're not totally messing with you, but that's that that that's crazy. They they weren't. I mean, I, I could tell. Like, uh, you know, they they do. Me and me and him do that to each other. We joke around and pretend and say, you know, just just BS with each other all the time. And I could tell he was totally serious. Wow, dude, that that that's frightening, man. I would <laughs> yeah. not want to see something like that. Seriously. I would want to see it. Like, I was so disappointed. Yeah, I know you would. It's like, you like, you want to see the black-eyed kids knock on your door? <laughs> I would. I would, dude. I would, I would invite them in. I'd be like, man, that's metal. <laughs> I love your eyes, dude. <laughs> yeah, so I'm back at the old studio. As you can probably hear, the, the garage door closing. It's just like old times, man. I just feel like Chris should just walk in the door. No, that, that's okay. Uh, <laughs> yeah, you just go ahead and stay outside, buddy. <laughs> and, you know, Rob is uh, – uh, Chris Christopherson took Rob away from us tonight. So Chris Christopherson? Yeah, he's uh, having to babysit some equipment that Chris Christopherson is, is using tonight dude i don't know i don't know what it is but we'll be back in the old studio ne- uh next week and uh and next week we've got uh dr timothy furnish on and we're going to talk about islam and uh the various sects and the uh the types of islam and what he thinks about it so that's going to be a really good show I'm we're going to talk about, about that one. we're going to talk about uh muslims on cool whip yeah we'll talk about muslims on cool whip <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I, I tried to I tried to text for our listeners. I tried to text Adam. Uh, I, I said something along the lines of Muslims I'm cool with, and voice yeah. text voice text assumed that I said Muslims on cool whip. <laughs> Muslims on cool whip. <laughs> it, it sounds dangerous, dude. It does sound kind of dangerous. <laughs> <laughs> oh God, bro. All right, man. Well, I appreciate you coming on. And do you have anything you want to say to your fans that that sorely miss you? Um, guys, I appreciate you being here by my side this whole time, and I love you all. And and I'll be back soon. I promise. That is, <laughs> now, ho- that is hopefully next word. week. Damn it. <laughs> well, right, man. Let, let, let's let, let's send him out with a good rousing. Uh, see you next week on Conspiranormal. <laughs> Damn, Chris Gustafson. Well, I woke up Sunday morning with no way to hold my head that didn't hurt. And the beer I had for breakfast wasn't bad, so I had one more for dessert. Then I fumbled in my closet through my closet.
Sunday morning coming down. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line. Prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. Bet MGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus and present in Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1 800 Gambler in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Corient. Corient provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Corient has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Corient has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Corient has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of planning, investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Corient's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Corient.com.